0: great to be here with you, I uh, have to say, coming from Vancouver, Canada, uh, seeing this many uh, young Christians would, would be like a, a crusade or a revival in Vancouver. We, we don't have many Christians in Vancouver. Uh, it's, it's, not, um, it's not a godly city, it's, it's very much uh, a city of paganism of godlessness, and anyone who goes to church uh, in Vancouver, you're almost certain they're a Christian. Uh, I say that just because nobody has any societal pressure to go to church. So seeing this is, is really wonderful. I uh, actually went to University of Wisconsin-Madison as uh, an undergraduate, and uh, I went there to play soccer, a soccer scholarship to Wisconsin, which was a dream come true uh, for me. It was aided by the fact that we won the Rose Bowl that year and went to the Final Four, and the hockey team did really well, but uh, the soccer team on which I played was an absolute disaster. Uh, The thing that happened to me at Wisconsin, however, was I went in uh, hoping to have a future soccer career after that and ended up leaving the university a Christian, which was, uh, as I stand here now, the best thing that could have happened to me, but uh, to get me to that place, I had to go through such sore and trying times that uh, nothing else would have done the job, really, to bring a proud, arrogant young man to his knees, and so I hope I can minister to you uh, in that vein uh, today as someone who recognizes the importance of the stage of life you are in right now, And just how important God's dealings with you can be, especially at university, even a Christian university. Uh, The chapter to which I want to turn your attention, if you have your Bibles, comes from Genesis chapter 22. It's just the first, uh, I think, 12 or so verses. And I'll read from verse 1 of Genesis chapter 22, a well-known chapter, I'm sure, to most of you. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I wonder if you had the opportunity Hypothetically speaking, to have God speak to you, and I don't just mean through his word, I mean later today, tomorrow, sometime during this week, that God could directly speak to you in audible words. Would you take him up on that opportunity? I think only a mad person would, in many respects. And when I consider what God actually says to his servants in the Bible when he speaks to them, it seems to me more often than not that they are sometimes the last words they would ever want to hear. Think about Abraham at this point in his life. He is a tremendous high, finally the birth of Isaac, his son, in the previous chapter. The son he's been waiting for his whole life. The son of the promise. And he loves his son. We're told in the text time and time again how much he loved his son. God tells him, your son whom you love. So what were the last words in the world that Abraham would ever want to hear from God? They are the very words that he hears from God. Abraham, Abraham, yes, God has come to speak with me. Take your son, your only son whom you love, and sacrifice him. It's incredible. God is going to test Abraham, not to do something wrong, but he's going to try him. He's going to try him in a way that will bring him to the point of his own emotional death and certainly his son's death. Now Abraham clearly as you've read the story loved God more than he loved his father and his family. He left them but now comes a more trying experience. Would he love God more than his only son? That's the issue for Abraham. And this is a mysterious trial. Must the father of the faithful become the monster of all fathers? Abraham trusts God based upon experience, but now this trial makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever because Abraham is being asked to kill the son of of the promise. He's being asked to kill the son whom he has waited for his entire life. But what God wanted was not Isaac's death but Abraham's faith. Now, we sometimes, I don't know if you do, but we sometimes sing that hymn, Trust and Obey. I think it's the type of hymn where some people like to close their eyes. There's not many hymns where people do that, of course. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. And people uh, don't really often understand just what they're singing. Trust and obey. Imagine saying those words to Abraham right now. Trust and obey, Abraham. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Are you out of your mind? I've been asked to kill my only son whom I love, and you want me to say there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And yet, that's the reality of what is before him. Now, he rises early and he does not ask for more time like Luther did at the time of the Reformation. He doesn't plot alternative circumstances. He doesn't debate like he did regarding Sodom and Gomorrah and his nephew Lot. He doesn't say, well, you know, I, I do have this other son. You might want to consider him, Ishmael. I do love Ishmael, but, well, there's not really much competition between Ishmael and Isaac. Maybe there was a translation issue. Surely you want Ishmael's death. You see none of that in the text. What you see is a man who wakes up early and he obeys God. And it's better for Abraham to trust and obey than to trust his flesh. Because he had trusted in his flesh many times before already with God. And it did not exactly work out well for him. So he trusts And he obeys. And there's a very peculiar phrase in chapter 22. It's verse 5 where he speaks to his young men. And he says to them, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over. And we will worship. And in some translations, which I think are absolutely correct, he says, we will come back to you. Now, if you were to ask me what are the greatest words of faith found anywhere in the Old Testament, I might suggest to you that verse 5 represent to you the greatest act of faith found anywhere in the Old Testament. Abraham has resolved to go and sacrifice his son. He has resolved to be obedient to God, and yet, he has... The faith to say, we will come back. Not I will come back, but we will come back. And how do we know that Abraham believed in the resurrection of his son? Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, And he who had received the promises concerning his son Isaac that all nations would be blessed through him was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now here's the key. He considered that God well before the resurrection of Jesus Christ He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking he did. Abraham resolved to obey God, and yet he had the faith to believe that if he was going to drive a knife through Isaac's throat, through his heart, wherever it would be, God would raise him from the dead because God's promises remained firm. And Isaac carries the wood for his own destruction. And you can imagine what it was like for Abraham walking with his son. Where his son has a degree of ignorance that you can only thank God for at this point in time. And yet Abraham is fully aware. It has been said that there is a word for the loss of a parent and there is a word for the loss of a spouse but there is no word for the loss of a child. The silence of that journey from time to time must have pierced Abraham's heart to extremities that we perhaps in this life will never understand. God's timing is always, always perfect. They come to the place and Isaac in his obedience allows himself, perhaps he's a teenager at this point in time, to be placed upon the altar. Now, if you just remember those words at the beginning, what were the last words that Abraham would ever want to hear from God? Those were the very words that God spoke to him. Now, God, through the angel of the Lord, speaks to Abraham again. And you can forgive Abraham for perhaps not wanting to listen. It didn't particularly work out well for him. Now, would God say something even more grotesque? But Abraham listens. And if the last words in the world were what Abraham heard the first time, you can be sure that the words he wanted to hear most in the world were the words that he heard this time. Abraham reaches out his hand with a knife. He reaches out his hand with a knife. And his son is bound there. And then he hears the words, Abraham, Abraham. And there is as much obedience here as there was the first time. Here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy. Could there be anything that he more wanted to hear than these words? Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now that I know, You fear God, for you have not withheld your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now think of what it meant for the angel of the Lord to tell Abraham to not go through with that sacrificial death. It meant simply this, that if Abraham was not going to go through with this, that the angel of the Lord would one day be placed upon that altar. Now, I just want us to look at a few points of application from this text. And the first is simply this. Think of how good it was for Isaac to go through this trial. So much of the emphasis is upon Abraham and his faith, and rightly so. But think about Isaac with respect to his dad, Could there be any doubt with Isaac that his dad loved God more than he loved his son? One of the most precious gifts a parent can give to their child is simply this, to have that child aware in no uncertain terms that God comes first. Let me assure you that is easier said than done. My natural propensity as a parent is to indulge my child, to spoil my child. I have the means to do so. I want the best for my child. But do my children know that I love God a great deal more than them? That is a better gift to them than any earthly material gift. And I want you to remember that. We could say the same of Abraham with respect to this trial. And think about his love for Isaac at the beginning, which is so clearly presented to us. And yet, would you not say that Abraham, after this trial, in a sense, loved his son even more than before? When he realized what could have been taken from him and how he, in a manner of speaking, received him back You can imagine his love for Isaac only increasing and his love for God only increasing because here he is absolutely certain that God can be trusted. Now God has every right to put you and I through these types of trials. If he didn't, we wouldn't be sitting here today I wouldn't be standing here today. Trials keep us close to God. Whenever life gets too easy, whenever the joys keep coming fast and furious, there's a natural drift away. But when trials come, there is always a natural drift towards God. And Abraham must have thought that he lived a very exciting life. He's been down to Egypt. He had a beautiful wife. He has children. He has, uh, he's had a concubine. He's, he's gone into battle. He's rescued people. He's become very wealthy. And perhaps he's thinking at the end of chapter 21 I'm going to retire now. I've worked hard to get myself into this position where I can retire. And yet, his most difficult trial comes in his retirement age. And what we find is that Abraham kept nothing back. That's really the point to which God wants to bring you and I to the point where we are willing to keep nothing back from Him. Is there something that you are withholding from God right now? Something that you're holding back, something that you're clutching with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me assure you, God will wrench that from your hands because He loves you. And it will be painful. But if you think about the way God works with his people and the way in which God loves his people, you can think about the types of things that God puts his people through. Joseph receives these incredible promises. What's the last thing that he would want to have happen to him? Abandoned by his brothers, who are supposedly supposed to bow down to him, left in a ditch for dead, sold into slavery in Egypt... And yet he had these promises from God. Could there be anything worse for Joseph than what he went through? And yet was there anything better for Joseph than what he went through? Peter sees Christ, makes that confession of faith in Matthew 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah I've been waiting for. And then he sees Christ accosted by Roman guards and taken away. Could there be anything worse for Peter to have imagined? So much so that he ends up denying him and yet was there anything better happening to Peter at that point in time? What about Christ's mother Mary? She sees him hanging on the cross. He's become a curse, a public curse. And it's her son... She would go to the grave knowing that her son died a criminal in the eyes of the Romans, of the Jews. It was the worst thing that could have ever happened to Mary. And yet, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to Mary. And when you look at the types of trials God will bring us through and has brought us through, sometimes we do ask, did you really have to do that? Job says, the, theor- the thing I fear most has happened to me. But God wants to give you his very best. I was in Chile last year and uh, speaking at a conference It was a wonderful time made even more wonderful by the fact that I made a friendship with a young man who used to be in a gang. And he lived in a place in Santiago where preachers were too scared to go and visit and preach. But one brave preacher went there and preached and he thought to himself, this young man, if I don't become a Christian now, I'm going to die. And he became a Christian and he came to the conference And he knew how much I loved soccer. Now this young man coached uh, junior soccer teams in Chile and one of the uh, teams he coached happened to be the son of one of Chile's most famous soccer players who plays for Bayern Munich, Arturo Vidal. And Arturo Vidal played in the South American Championship and they won it, actually. They beat Argentina in the final in a shootout. And the jersey that Vidal wore, he gave to this young man for coaching his son. In fact, he went the extra mile. He had it framed in a case, in a glass case. Now, this young man is so poor that he has to basically beg for money to have books to study for the ministry. But he has this jersey And it is his prized possession. When I got to the airport, he said he wanted to come and say goodbye to me. And as I'm at the airport, he's a little bit late. And he finally gets to the airport and I'm about to leave. And he asks me to close my eyes and I close my eyes. And then he opens this package and tells me to open my eyes. And it's the jersey that he'd been given. And he said he was late because he had to try and find a hammer to smash through the glass case to get the jersey out. In other words, the only thing of any value to him who has nothing, he gave to me. And very few things in my life have ever brought me to tears like that. Now you see, when Christ goes to the cross, God is smashing open the glass of heaven, so to speak, and He is giving you the very thing that is most valuable to Him. And He is saying, here you are. I can give you nothing better than this. And when Christ goes to the cross... You have to understand that there is no angel of the Lord who is going to say, stop this madness. There's no angel of the Lord who's going to bring him down from the cross. There's no angel of the Lord who's going to save him from that hour because the angel of the Lord is on the cross. And the angel of the Lord knows that his father in heaven is more willing to see him sacrificed than Abraham was ever willing to see his son sacrificed. But it doesn't matter because faith always conquers. And Christ knows that He will be rewarded. And the Father knows that His Son will be vindicated. And He knew that with Abraham. He knew that with Joseph. He knew that with Peter. He knew that with Mary. But that does not keep God from putting them through these trials, even though He knows He will vindicate their faith and bring them to the place of glory and honor. My point to you today is very simply this. The greater the glory and honor that God will bring you to through His Son, Jesus Christ, the greater the trials and sufferings to bring you to that place. That's God's way. We are not so holy and so sanctified that it can be any other way. But faith always, always ends in victory. Believe in me, believe in my Father. And you will win no matter what happens if you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you who did not withhold your only Son, your only Son whom you loved that gave him up for us all, we know that you will along with him graciously give us all things, not just some things, but all things. And we pray that you may give us the grace to receive all things, even the trials, so that we may receive the glories. For Jesus' sake.